Beaver Nation, it's time to get inside the huddle with the Damn Podcast. The Damn Podcast is your weekly ticket to Oregon State football and recruiting news. Here's your host of the Damn Podcast, BeaverBlitz.com publisher, Angie Machado. Welcome in, everyone, to another episode of the Damn Podcast. I'm your host, Angie Machado, and with me, as always, is Beaver Blitz beat writer, Carter Baines. And this week, we're coming at you after a Beaver victory. Carter, how are you, first off? I'm great. First Beaver win in, I guess, probably a calendar year. So definitely feels good to uh, to get that under their belt and kind of makes the, uh, the following week a little more enjoyable. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, this is... You have to bear with me because I will probably call this game the Civil War a few times during this podcast, but this is Rivalry Week. Um, the, the game does not have a, a, a name any, uh, right now, so it's Oregon Week. Um, do you think that win helps propel them a little bit and then the fact that Oregon didn't you know, blow UCLA out? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a, a win is always good for morale and the way that they got it in that kind of come-from-behind fashion and a in a tight game, that's always going to kind of give you a little momentum and boost your confidence. And then after seeing the way Oregon played, I'm not entirely sure how good they can be feeling about themselves. So um, it definitely made this game a lot more interesting. uh, Yeah. Maybe a little trending upward for Oregon state, trending downward for Oregon, potentially. I think the, uh, the 16 and a half point line that came out from Vegas was way too high. And uh, last I checked it, it dropped. And I think that's probably, I wouldn't be surprised if it ended up around maybe even 10 points or something as low as that. Cause I think this game is going to be a lot closer than, uh, than some people expect. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll, t- we'll talk about the Oregon game a little later, but I want to jump in and talk a little bit about Cal because you know, this game coming into this game um, I really didn't know what to expect. I, I know I picked a loss. I, after seeing the way they played against Washington state and Washington um, I believe you picked a loss too, if I'm, and this was a team that yeah. you had picked be one of your top teams in the, in the PAC 12 North, the, the Cal team. Um, and then Oregon state comes off and jumps out to that quick seven point lead with that 75 yard run by Jermar Jefferson. Um, let's just start with the offense. What did you think? What did you like from Saturday's game? Well, you mentioned it, Jermar with that hot start. This is now two weeks in a row. Oregon state scored on the, uh, the opening drive of the game last week, of course, was special teams with that, that blocked punt. And then this week with Jermar, so Jamar, I'd, I'd say, was the highlight of the game, really, for Oregon State. And then uh, Tegan Quatoriano, I thought, had a great game, led the team in pass or in uh, receiving, set career highs with four receptions and I believe somewhere around like 65 yards. And then he had the touchdown as well on that 35-yarder from Jebbia. So those two guys would be my, uh, my MVPs from the offensive side. And outside of that, to be honest, the offense wasn't great, but those uh those two big plays kind of carried them yeah yeah I, and funny that you talk about tegan because all along we've kind of pigeonholed him as as the blocking tight end but he really did show um some flashes in the receiving game too but what didn't go well in your mind offensively well, yeah outside of tegan really the passing game still just continues to struggle and that's an element that the offense has to get going and it, and it needs it this week too against Oregon. You, you can't be one dimensional. Otherwise teams are going to stack the box and 
we give Jamar Jefferson all the credit in the world for his playmaking ability. But when you've got teams stacking all 11 guys in the box, you, there's no way that you can make that work. So we need to see a little better decision-making from Tristan Jebbia. That second pick this week against Cal, was, I mean, that was just another questionable decision made by him. And that's kind of been somewhat of a, a trend here for throughout the first three weeks. And maybe he settles down a bit as he gets more experience, but I think, I think that's something that that needs to be improved upon pretty quickly here. If the, or if Oregon state's going to have sustained success on offense. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about Tristan Jebbia because um, it just doesn't seem like the decision-making is there quick. It's not, we're not seeing quick decisions. Um, that pass, that, that second interception he threw, the first one was tip ball, it, you know, you kind of go with that, but that second one was ugly. And I, I was sitting here at my house watching that game and thank goodness no one was around because I kind of shocked myself. I yelled out an expletive and then I kind of stopped, startled a little bit. Like, did I really just say that? But it, it was that bad. Um, like three or four white shirts and, you know, nothing else, but let's just talk about do you think he has improved since game one? I on it. Well, I feel like game one might've been his best game. And I know a lot of his completions against Wazoo came on kind of those check downs and intermediate throws, but statistically speaking, he had a pretty good game to open the season. And, and since then the decision-making has been questionable. And then his accuracy has really just, I mean, it's fallen off the map. Uh, he was around like 53% or something like that against UW and then 60% this week. And you mentioned it with that, that first pick being a tipped ball. Well, I mean, he threw it too high for Luke Musgrave and that's, I mean, that's tough to do. Luke Musgrave's a tall kid. So um, that just another example of, you know, missing a throw by a couple inches or, you know, kind of I don't know, just inconsistent play in the passing game. So I, I would say, no, he hasn't improved since week one. So let's talk about this question. I, I think this one, um, it just fits in well here. And it's Matt Chiafoni, and he's not even asking if the beef should take like five Juco D linemen like typical. So this one is, but it, it's, a, it's a good spot for it. So we're going to do a damn question early, but what do you think is the biggest ailment to the passing game? Is it blocking? Is it, are, is it the wide receiver's lack of getting open? Or is it the quarterback? That's a really tough one to pinpoint really, because I think there's an element of all three. Um, and I'm a little hesitant to put a ton of blame on, on Jebbia because I do think that there have been some struggles on the line and, and with receivers getting open downfield that, you know, maybe, maybe not all of this is on him. Uh, he's been kind of flustered a little bit in the pocket. And a lot of that comes back to um, a, a bit of an inexperienced offensive line, get, giving up a little too much pressure. And then those, those quick receivers as, as fast as they are height and I mean, height has been a bit of an issue this year. We, we didn't think, we thought maybe they could compensate for that with their speed and getting open, but they've just, they've kind of been locked down a bit. And that's where we see that the tight ends come into play, but you're going to need more consistent play out of your receivers if, if you want an effective passing game. So I think there is an element of all three. Um, and for that reason, I'm hesitant to kind of place all the blame or even a majority of it on, In on Jebbia. Yeah. So it, it's interesting because Coach Smith today, I know you've watched his press conference. Um, I've seen it. Um, people are talking. There are some couple questions about time of possession. And Oregon State didn't have, they haven't really won the time of possession. So, you know, Coach Smith pointed to, he was highlighting some of the quick plays. I mean, obviously when Jamar Jefferson scores on the first play 
of the first drive on a 75 yarder. And then the next drive you have, it's a first strike down to Tegan. Um, you're not going to win that time of possession battle, but the same time, what I've seen is an offense that really, really struggles to maintain drives. That's something they're going to need to do. You know, if they can somehow get a lead with against Oregon to somehow be able to milk the clock, what would you like to see or the offense do differently in order to, to make that happen? Well, I think it comes down to third down and Smith touched on that as well. He, that was one of the reasons he gave for the time of possession discrepancy as well, as well was offensively not converting on third down and defensively giving up too many conversions because when, when you let opposing offenses stay out there and march down the field, like, like they have week in and week out, you're not going to give yourself a whole lot of time to work with on the other side. And so and then coming back to the offensive side, you do have to take advantage of all the opportunities you get when you're, when your possessions are limited. So I, I want to see more third down conversions on offense, but it starts really on the defensive side. Let's, uh, that's a great transition into defense. Um, and I agree. It was, it, it seems like now for three weeks in a row, we've seen the defense stop, you know, on first down, second down, um, stop them. And it's third and long. And then we see them, the opposing team with a, a big, a big gain for a first down. Um, what did you think went well this week against Cal defensively? I really like the play of the secondary. And I know they gave up 315 or, or, or whatnot passing yards to chase Garbers, but some of the play we saw from those guys was really impressive. I liked to Nashawn Wright with an end zone interception on that fourth down. And then uh, Akili Arnold just making plays all over the field. Um, Which is, I, I, I want to highlight that because we've been critical of Akili the first couple mm-hmm. of games of the season, but he did. He had a great game. Great this week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I know there are some, some pass interference penalties that they need to clean up and they're still giving up some big plays here and there, but I think, and I've said this before and I, I think it still holds true. This group is still quite a bit better than last year. And some of that was evident this week. And then elsewhere, the, uh, the inside linebackers, once again, huge game, Omar Spades, Avery Roberts had pretty much identical stat lines, 10 tackles, two tackles for loss and a sack for both of them. So those two guys continue to uh, to be the big playmakers on this defense, and I, they, their play has been huge. And I genuinely think they might be two of the best linebackers in this conference. Yeah, yeah, both of them had huge games. Defensive line too. Um, we saw some different faces. We saw a little more James Rawls. We saw um, Corey Stover, which redshirt freshman, kind of starting to get his feet wet. I think he's six six, six seven. Um, just gives the Beavers some length up front. What didn't or what didn't you like with the defense? I, you know, I, I guess I can start for a second. What my biggest question with this defense is the fact that um, they're able to make halftime adjustments, which, which is great. I mean, what we saw, they gave up 317 yards in the first half. They were, so they were on track to give up, what, 634 for the game. And they were able to only give up 122 the second half. But what do they need to do in order to make those changes earlier? Well, this defense has kind of looked like your prototypical bend but don't break kind of unit where they'll, they'll let teams march all the way down the field. And then as soon as they get to the red zone, it's, it's clamped down. We're going to force a turnover. We're going to force a field goal, you know, turnover on downs, you name it. So really the big thing is just keeping opponents on their half of the field and not letting them get, get all the way down and, and put them in those scoring positions. Because if they can play as strong as they do in the red zone elsewhere on the field, 
they're going to be tough to beat. Yeah. Yeah. Who is your MVP then for this week's defense? Well, I mentioned a couple of them, but I think I'm going to go with Keely Arnold actually, because he had, he had that big uh, deflection on the last defensive play of the game where John McCartan came away with the interception. That was, that was a that that got his hands on it. He had a tackle for loss and he had a handful of tackles outside of that as well. So I like to see that kind of bounce back performance after he, as you mentioned, struggled a bit in the first two games. I, I have to agree. I, I'm going to go with my MVP is um, Avery and Omar, though. I, I just those guys were everywhere. Um, and I thought but like I said, I like the fact that Achille um, really did step up. They picked on Alex Austin this week and we saw more mm-hmm. of Alex Austin in the secondary. But, um, you know, what are your thoughts in playing these young guys this season? You know, this season isn't, I don't want to call it a throwaway season, but it is a season that really doesn't have a lot of bearing on big bowl games or anything like that. What are your thoughts on giving these young guys live action and kind of building for next year? Yeah, it's a perfect opportunity to do it. It's kind of like the way I see it is it's just, it's a red shirt year without using your red shirt option. Cause mm-hmm. In a normal year, you get to play four games before you redshirt, and this year you're playing six or seven, so it's not a whole lot more. Um, and yeah, just another opportunity to get those guys some run. You look at Alex Austin coming in as a redshirt freshman and starting this year. I mean, that's valuable, valuable experience that you get against some of the elite receivers in the Pac-12. And sure, he's going to give up his plays from time to time, and they kind of, as you said, picked picked on him a bit this week. But I mean, nothing will nothing will help him improve more than taking those lumps and, and giving up big plays because you just use it as a learning opportunity and that's exactly what they're going to do. Yeah, I, I found this tweet earlier today and I, I retweeted it with a comment. Our um, friend Dan Sorensen, he's the publisher over at Ute Zone, so the 24-7 site that covers Utah. Um, some of their fans were a little vocal this morning about just the, the how they're not buying into the season and there's lack of excitement because they never know if the, if the game that week is actually going to be played. So they kind of feel that this is just anticlimactic and, and Dan had a good take. And I, I actually kind of buy into this as well. <clears throat> he said, it's the perfect time to adopt to the hashtag team fun lifestyle, no matter what results happen on the field, just enjoy the fact that it is happening and have fun with it. Take joy in the little successes because next year they'll pay off big dividends in a big way. So I think that's kind of what we're seeing from Oregon State. I mean, this season might not be the win column, what Oregon State had hoped for, but um, I do think it will pay dividends down, down the way. Okay, so Cal, they have a win. The, the win bugaboo is off their backs now. Let's transition and talk Oregon. Two programs that are so completely opposite right now as far as successes and, and where they're at. Um, I want to start though with, I know you've been, you know, born and raised Beaver your whole life. What is your favorite Civil War memory? Well, unfortunately, I don't really have a whole lot to go off of because <laughs> the last, you know, twenty years or so have uh, have not been ideal for Oregon State in this series. So I would look yeah, at twenty sixteen. Were you born? on the 2000 for the 2000 you you were not born yet right i was i was okay. but just yeah just barely barely okay Ni- 1999 for me so okay okay um but but 2016 for me stands out um that big game with mcmarion and Null. i was there that was the first civil war win i had seen in person and it was worth standing in the uh the 40 degree rain for 
three or four hours uh, to kind of to break that streak after so many years. Uh, that that was pretty cool. And then 07 as well with James Rogers on the fly sweep and uh, a double overtime game. That was fun as well. So those are really the only two wins that I can remember. <laughs> but uh, so sad. But they were good ones. They were good. I, that 2007 was good. My favorite Civil War ever. And I've been to a lot because I'm a lot older than you, Carter. Um, but my favorite, I think, of all time has to be, I mean, the the 2000 game, Joey, Joe, you know, the, the five picks, all that. That was awesome. And I, I'll never forget, um, that was Keith Jackson was there. That's, I was a fundraiser at Oregon State. I was in like my, I seriously had been on my honeymoon and came back um, for Civil War time. And there was a big face of probably like two or three dozen roses that they had. And I think if Oregon had won, they were going to the Rose Bowl. But I remember handing that bouquet to Dennis Erickson at, on the stage and it was cool. But my very most favorite memory was 98. That game, um, so, so I graduated college in 97 and saw a lot of, well, Oregon was bad then too, for the most part. Um, but 98 was the first game that I bought a ticket. So even after I got 90, the entire 97 and 98 season, I just used my ID card to get in. And that was the day of the big berm. You don't even remember the big berm, Carter, but there's this big old hill down to the, the student side. Um, but Civil War 98, I bought a ticket. It was with my best friends who were still in college at the time. And, oh my gosh, so much fun. Um, you know, it was like these, the, everybody stormed the field and then they had to come back. I was still in the stands, but we were on the field after that um, after that and I still actually have a piece of the winning end zone turf in my garage so um no it's that was seriously that is where you felt I think as a beaver fan you we you finally felt that your team was turning the corner and you were taking that next step and then coach Riley announced like a week later that he was going to the chargers so it went from like this elation to this down depths of the despair to oh my gosh they're hiring Dennis Erickson so best game that was by far my best favorite game of all time so let's just jump in, though, to talk the 2020 ep- ed- um, edition of the Civil War or Oregon game. What do you want to see from the Beavs? Well, I, I want to see, first of all, more consistent play in the passing game, because that's that's really the biggest key now, I think, is we've seen that the defense can can come up big when they need to. We've seen that the running game is consistent as always. The passing game really is is kind of that that last dimension. And if, if they can get that going against an Oregon secondary that has pretty much nobody back from last year between opt-outs, injuries, you name it, if, if they can get it going against that defense, Oregon State's got a real shot in this game. And then on the other side, containing Tyler Shuck is, I mean, that's going to be a tough task. I, I know he's young, but he's shown through his first three games that he can play. So containing him, keeping him in the pocket, and then also getting pressure on him. Uh, that's huge because we saw a little bit more of that, of the pass rush this week against Cal that has to carry over this week. If, if the Beavers want a chance, um, cause that's really the only way to slow down that Oregon offense. Yeah. Um, and it'll be interesting because we didn't see a lot of pressure early the first half of the Cal game. How much of that do you think is playing a little vanilla to not show your hand too much and just kind of maybe making those adjustments as you need them without putting in all your, all your bliss packages um, do you want to see Oregon State blitz early against Oregon? Yeah, that could be part of it. Um, I, I know scheme has played kind of a part in the uh, in the pass rush, especially you look at week one and 
they really didn't even try to, to put a whole lot of pressure on on Jaden Delora. That was a, a scheme thing. They just wanted to to contain him and not let him uh, not let him do a lot of damage with his feet. So yes, yes, I want to see the scheme include more pass rush, and I want them to do it early because they need to set the tone. If you give up a bunch of points early, that gives Oregon all the confidence, it gives them all the momentum, and now all of a sudden you're playing from behind. So if you want to make a statement early in this game and, I don't know, capture an early lead or something like that, I think it has to start with that front seven. I agree. Um, I'm, this wasn't on our agenda that I, I sent out, but it was what we talked about in He Said, She Said today. And first of all, amazing title, harking back to the the days of The Office. It, w- it was great. But um, let's talk a little bit about this team really taking, you know, I, I've been critical of this, that Oregon State coaches, all of them, we see very um, even keel. We don't see them get up too much, get down too much. Um, and I've been critical critical of that because I, I do believe you need a, a guy or two on there that can really fire guys up and, and get guys motivated. And, and we saw that game one. We saw I, the sidelines seem down and just kind of going through the motions. But at a game like Cal, we saw that payoff because we saw a team that just doesn't give up, really kind of has that mentality of their head coach do you think this team is up? Do you think they need added, that added benefit? I mean, you played sports. Do you think they need that from a coach to help them get up? Or do you think a game like against Oregon, they will be up enough and that even keelness of their coaching staff will, will help in the long run? Yeah, it, that's a tough one to answer because I think it just depends on the team. You've got a disciplined team at Oregon State. And, and these guys, you know, they're willing to put in the work and, and they know what they're going in. They know what they're going up against every week. And I think they have just kind of that internal fire. And that's something that comes with having a strong work ethic and, and really honing your craft in the off season to the extent that they do. I mean, this team puts in the work. Mm-hmm. And so I think they, they have that motivation within themselves. And I mean, we don't know what goes on inside the locker room or at practice when we're not there, but there, there could be some motivation going on from this coaching staff. And I'm sure there is, mm-hmm. you're not going to see a, a fiery coach on the sideline or anything like that. But th- these guys, these guys love to play for coach Smith. And, and there's a reason, there's a reason for that. And he might not be the most uh, electric on, on TV or anything like that. But I do think he has this team in a, in a good position to come out and, and make plays early in the game. And we've seen that the last two weeks. I mean, they've come out on fire special teams and offensively. So I, I do think that they, mm-hmm. they play with, I mean, they do have a grit that um, a lot of teams might've folded going down to Cal after already losing two games. And um, I'm, I've been impressed with that. Yeah. hundred percent. No, it's a, uh, it's a don't give up mentality. And they all kind of echoed that uh, in the, in the press conference after the game, keep fighting, make them snap the ball again. Those are two of the big mottos this year. You and I talked about that, the, the whole make them snap the ball again and bad things can happen when they snap the ball again. <laughs> especially with the defense that that they've especially with the kind of defense they've played over the last couple of years yeah yeah I just I I mean I get it but yeah it's like yeah maybe you don't want them to snap the ball again um are you ready for some damn questions of course let's do it let's do some damn I I got them down and and thank you to everyone that submitted damn questions on twitter and on on in the lodge um I I have some down here and I just they're good they're they're good thought-provoking questions Carter has seen them so I don't think I'm going to throw any curveballs at him. But Go Beavs two in the lodge asks, does Jamar Jefferson go pro after this season? I think it would be smart for him to do that. And 
that, that it would hurt Oregon State. It, it really would to lose him. But you look at the shelf life of a running back in this sport, and it's just you have to take advantage of the opportunities you're given. And if he continues to put up the numbers that he has, look at his freshman year, and then again this year, he continues to play like that throughout the rest of the year. I think his draft stock is going to continue to rise. And if that number is right, it's it's just it's the right thing to do to bounce and and you know as as they say, secure the bag. Yeah, I mean you have to, right? I mean especially as a running back. Um, okay, so this one wasn't. I am throwing a curveball. See, this is what I'm good at. Your um, Hamilton Rashid came back. He's not having maybe the year that everyone thought he might. What do you do if you're him? Because this year doesn't count. He could come back. Yeah, I'm curious what the uh, what the NFL scouts are telling him and what kind of evaluation he's going to get after this year. Because you mentioned it, like he just has not played at anywhere near the same level, and there is still time for that to change. Who knows? Maybe he catches fire here and puts on a show the last couple weeks of the season. But yeah, I feel like maybe his stock has has really declined a bit. And if and that's mean, the case, if that's the case, then this is a free year. Like you might as well come back next year. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's, it's an interesting one to watch because um, yes, he's being double teamed and, and teams are keen on him, but you know, that's going to be life in the NFL that mm-hmm. so teams are going to want to see that. So well, last and, year... and to, to add on to that, a lot of what we heard that he was told from NFL guys was work on the physical aspect, you yes. know, get stronger, get faster. faster. And that's something that I'm sure he's done. It's just a matter of, you know, like we've seen the on-field production already. Now he's more of a physical specimen. Maybe that's what the NFL guys wanted to see. And so maybe he doesn't lose any draft stock. Yeah, that's just something to watch. Um, Black Bandit in the Lodge asked, why has the play calling on offense lacked creativity this season? Well, when you have an inconsistent kind of a, when you have inconsistency in the passing game, I think it takes away a lot of your, your options there you have to run more of those short quick slants or or out routes to pick up five ten yards you can't really go for the home run ball if if your quarterback has shown an inability to find his receivers downfield um that being said i actually liked some of the play calling this week and i gotta give brian lindgren credit the trick play oh uh, where where jebbia caught the touchdown pass that was awesome and that was a perfect time to to use it the uh the corvallis special if you will and then the uh, the play action pass to Tegan Cotoriano, where he yeah. scored after the uh, the big special teams play. That's a great time to go play action. They're going to expect run, and then you just dump it over the top of them. So those were two play calls in particular that that I actually really liked this week. Okay, Scott in the five hundred three asked, "Where in the heck has the fly sweep been with speed like Anthony Gould, Josiah Irish, Tyjon Lindsay? Why haven't we seen more of that?" Great question. Yeah. yeah, with these receivers, if, if you're not going to get them the ball downfield, you got to give it to them somehow. And why not go to the fly sweep? I know. I, and, and just be running that fly motion every play. I mean, you think back to the days when James Rogers was so successful with that or Marcus Wheaton. Um, they ran that fly motion, you know, probably two-thirds of the time they were running a fly motion. So you just didn't know when that guy went in motion if he would have the ball or not. Um, you can't just do it. I, I, I joke about the when Jack Coletto comes in at quarterback, you just know he's going to get it. So um, you need to run it. You need to run it without the, handing the ball just to, to keep defenses honest. But that's a great question, Scott, because, um, yeah, I'd, I'd love to see more of that and get those guys, let those guys get the ball and, and make some things happen. Even Zariah Beeson, I'd like to see what he could do, you know, in space with, with the ball. 
Um, okay, we Steel Beaver says, do you see the transfer portal being crowded this year? And can OSU find a D lineman? Okay, the transfer portal, I don't know, I don't know if you've been watching it all, Carter, because I kind of handle more recruiting stuff, but the transfer portal has been blowing up. Like 10, 15 guys a day are hitting the transfer portal from all over the country. Um, I keep watching personally for D linemen because I agree. I think Oregon State um, would do um, well to find one um, or two to come in, especially a nose tackle. Um, but yeah, I think I think we're going to see more and more guys entering the portal. I think we see some Oregon State guys enter the portal. I think um, I think this season is just really um, it's it's just such a strange season, and then guys aren't seeing playing time that they maybe expected. So. Um, you know, as the season progresses, I wouldn't be shocked to see some more Oregon State players enter, but um, keep an eye on, you know, if you follow me on Twitter, um, you can find the 24-7 transfer portal and follow them because they are tweeting out every time someone jumps in that portal. Noel Bosco asks, how much is the defense missing Jordan Whitley this year? A lot. A lot? <laughs> <laughs> defensive tackle has been kind of the weakness of this defense so far and the defensive line I mean we kind of bash it a little bit and I mean for good reason sometimes but actually the the play of Isaac Hodgins and Simon Sandberg this year has been really really strong yes Um, especially you look at like Sandberg in the passing game that guy's getting his hands on passes every single game and and Isaac Hodgins had go ahead quick a quick update Carter because I don't know if you've seen this yet but, he, um, you know, he did go out. Simon Sandberg went out and we couldn't really tell if it was a head injury or what was going on. But he and Ham both were practicing today and Coach Smith said they were both moving around great. So mm-hmm. just go ahead with that. So if you're worried about Simon not being there. And, and another one, Alexander Skelton was practicing today as well. So yes. that helps the defensive tackles. Um, and he's a guy that has to come up big when you have Whitley, when you don't have Whitley in there and. I'd like to see more Evan Bennett as well. We saw a he's, lot of him coming along against, yep. against Cal. Yep. Is Jordan though, just gave, I mean, he was like 350 pounds and he was, he had good feet. Um, he just could clog so much of that, that middle of the, of the, of the line. So yes. To me, to me, he was uh, more of an athletic version of Elu Aiden with that, that big size, mm-hmm. but an ability to get into the backfield and then yep. make plays also downfield a few yards as well. That's, yeah. I mean, his absence, it can't be overstated how, yeah. how much they're feeling that right now. Yeah, it, it is huge. And you just have to kind of, I mean, the next man up, but unfortunately guys like Jordan Whitley with the size and athleticism don't grow in trees. And uh, they're, that is the toughest position to recruit hands down. Um, another defensive question, Chubby Beav, which great Twitter name, by the way, is defensive struggles. Is it a coaching or personnel deal? If coaching is Tibbs seat getting hot. Probably still at this point, a little bit of both. Um, We're seeing a lot of the defensive guys still kind of come along, especially in the secondary. You got a lot of young guys there and it's just going to take them a while to develop Uh, defensively or on on the defensive line. Sorry. You could say that's a personnel issue because you're, you're kind of running thin, especially in the middle. Um, But yeah, some of that does fall on, on coach Tibisar and, and the scheme look no further than week one i i would argue that schematically they were not really prepared for that game um you know i I mentioned that earlier but you got to get more pressure on a a true freshman quarterback and i i had some questions about about the scheme in that game so i think it is a little bit of both still at this point 
I w- and I would also say I, I don't see Coach Smith being the type that would make this season, this short, weird, wacky season, would put him on a hot seat. I don't think any coach is on the hot seat this season just because of all the circumstances. But that's just my my takeaway from what I know of Coach Smith and, and the staff at Oregon State. Okay, this is a fun one. Let's just have some fun with this one. Mr. G. Gray in the Lodge asks, what out-of-conference game would you like to see to see the Beavs play this year? Give me San Jose State, Coach That's Brennan. exactly who I was going to say. <laughs> Those guys are playing some really good football down there, and I I mean, it's not. it wouldn't by any means be a gimme if, if Oregon State played them, but how, how cool would that be to see Coach Brennan up here with, with his staff full of Oregon State guys? Yeah, no, that was – so some um, – I think it was Beaver Fuzz in the lodge that he wanted to play Alabama – because that would mean Oregon State was in the uh, in the CFP. But um, no, my first thought was I would love to see the Bees play San Jose State. I mean, how fun, like we've talked about in the pod before, and like you said, I mean, so many Beaver ties um, with that coaching staff and still lots of friendly faces. I mean, I, I hear from a lot of the wives and coaches. I, I heard from Coach Brennan just not too long ago, um, just that they still are keeping in touch with Oregon State and keep keep an eye on it. So I think it'd be really fun. And, and they're a good team right now in the Mountain West and, and seeing a lot of success. Um, Alabama, yeesh. Well, well, that would mean, yes, the Bees were in the CFP I, right now. I think, I think we can pass on the Crimson Tide. Yeah, yeah. What about BYU? Like they passed, I mean, they wouldn't probably want to play Oregon State because it wouldn't help their cause. But, you know, there's been well, a Well, if, if they don't want to play Washington, I don't think they're coming to Corvallis. Yeah, yeah. Have you watched them play? I have only caught a few a few snaps, but um, I don't know. Their level of competition makes me worry about their chances to get into the playoffs. So yeah, I think they should be doing everything they can to, to schedule a PAC 12 game. And I, I know that the offer Washington gave them wasn't necessarily ideal, but I think for their, for their cause to get into the playoff, you, you kind of have to play that game. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I don't know who they're looking at differently, but um San Jose State, I just looked, they are playing Boise State this weekend. So that could be a fun game to watch. It's a Saturday night game. So since Beavs are playing Friday, um, if you have nothing to do on Saturday, um, make sure to check that out. Um, Carter, you will be in the press box on Friday or on Friday evening. It's a 4.30 kick now. They moved it back from a 4 to a 4.30. ESPN, um, Rod Gilmore is going to be the, the an analyst. Shelly Smith. So they got the Pac-12 crew there. Um, It'll be kind of fun um, to watch that game. And first time of the season, the Beavs will not be on FS1. Um, stick with Beaver Blitz and make sure if you're not a member, this is when you guys are going to want to join because this week, our Black Friday Cyber Monday deal is the best that we ever have. So keep an eye out for that. Um, it is not an upgrade offer. So if you're already a member, it's this one is not for you. But if you're not a member... Like I said, I can, I'll give you a little sneak peek. It's 75% off an annual subscription that made Carter, like his eyes lit up at that one. So that's a good deal. You, you got to jump on that. And uh, yeah, it's 75% off. You will not find a better deal at Beaver Blitz anywhere, anytime. Um, that is our best deal ever. Um, so I believe it's going live on Wednesday is what I think I've been told. If not watch for Friday, but we'll be tweeting that out and, uh, retweeting it, putting it on Facebook, but we would love to see you join us. Our, um, since no fans are in the stands, we've been doing a live watch party during the games and so much fun. I think, you know, we've been averaging right around 
six to 7,000 replies or page views um, just in that one thread a game. So um, there's lots of action, several hundred replies. It's like watching the game with your friends around. So um, join us, join Carter. You'll read all his excellent analysis. You can write, he said, she said, you can read all the good stuff. Um, so join us, but uh, we'll be back next week, hopefully talking about a civil war win. Carter, have a great Thanksgiving and thank you for all you do. And thank you Beaver Nation for always keeping tuned to Beaver Blitz and the Dan podcast.